welcome to uh, Work Behind the Data podcast. Uh, my name is Jez Clark. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Eden Smith Group, the data analytics uh, staffing and consulting business. And this year I'm running a series of podcasts uh, where I'll be speaking with data leaders uh, to talk about their approach to building sustainable data teams. Uh, there will be a little bit more information that comes off the back of our discussion. And today I'm really super excited and very happy uh, that we will be joined by Abel Abo, uh, currently the data management lead of the Bank of England. Um, we've known each other some time, Abel. Um, I always yep. enjoy your company and I love listening to you, Same, listen yeah. to some of your podcasts and uh, welcome to the show. So how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, Jess. Really, thank you so much for having me. Such a delight. I'm so glad we finally had the time to do this. So um, thank you for having me and for every listener as well. Really good to have you as well. Thank you for listening as well. Oh, you're very welcome. It's it's great. I'm really, really pleased you're here. So I'm going to crack on with some questions now for you, Abel. I hope you enjoy them. Um, but I think some of the listeners would really like to understand if we could just start at the beginning, you know, how did you get into the data industry and what did your study and career path look like? Now, can I just say, Jess, that's a great question. I get asked this question a lot. Um, <laughs> the reason I'm just going to, obviously, by the end of this podcast, people would know why. Um, I go into the data industry when I was working for one of the biggest defense contractor and is one of the FTSE 100 organization in the UK. It's called BAE Systems. Um, and they were running a transformation program and to embed data management as a capability um, into the business. And so, yeah, that was me getting into data. And um, so ever since then, I've not really looked back as well. BAE Systems, big company, quite complex organization as well. <laughs> Very complex. And it's, it's quite like global really... as well. Global yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, an international player. Yeah, quite complex as a business, I would have thought, and also quite slow, slow moving internally, I would have thought, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Well, I, I can say that for now, but I can't say anything about that. But I think, <laughs> but it's quite a really great organization, a really great organization. I think it's one of the pride and joy as well. And I think it's one of the jewel in the UK as well. It's one of the jewel in the UK. Um, they're doing amazing things globally. I think is one of the jewel, not just in the defense sector, but in other sectors as well, technology as well, and every other thing in between. So yeah, it's a yeah. great company. It's a great company. Yeah. yeah, they've got some applied intelligence business now as well, haven't they? Where they're doing some really interesting sort of uh, stuff, tech, you know, tech lead stuff. And so can you, you know, thank you for that. But can you remember, was there a, a specific moment in your career path uh, that got to where you are now, like a springboarding type moment? Yes, I think, yeah, it is, but I think it's very important. I always try to do this when I can. You know, someone really took the chance on me, I remember. Um, so her name is Sarah Jamis once. And if you ever listen to this, Sarah, I just want to say thank you so much. I really appreciate you just taking this chance on me. I joined BAE Systems. Um, and like I said earlier, um, you know, back in Portsmouth as well. And Sarah saw this young man come through talking in an interview and she said, well, I want to recruit him. I want him to join my team. So I joined in, in HR and ever since then, so Sarah was the information manager then. And we're just looking at HR system as well, but that was a recognition that data played a key role, not just on, you know, not just the technology we're looking after, but the data as well. So ever since then, there was this excitement about data. And I've been lucky as well to report to HR directors, you know, helping them with their data and the rest of them. So for me, I really did understood the role data can play. 
And so whilst I was in BAE system, um, another person took a chance on me. His name is Tony Wallace as well. Tony, if you ever listen to this, thank you ever <laughs> so much. And he just brought me into the transformation program. So what they were doing, they were looking for someone that has people relationship, but also people that someone that understood the business, but also have this appetite and enthusiasm for data. And I was one of them in the organization. So they brought me in there. And it was amazing. So it was amazing. And the journey has been really, really great journey for me. So I always tell people that's what really got me into, you know, the career. It's not really I set out to be a data management leader or data management person, but I just saw the new frontier in the organization and the different things data can do. And obviously from decision making to having business intelligence as well and just running the organization successfully as well. Yeah. Let's not underestimate the power of data. And ever since then, I've been in data space. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Do you know, one of the things I really like what you've just said, actually, is that, you know, someone spotted you in the organisation and then decided to give you an opportunity. And I think for the listeners, certainly the younger, uh, the younger generation who are maybe looking to get into this industry, that to be to be visible and to have good relationship building skills and to have a general passion um is what is attractive to a lot of 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 people in a situation where they're building teams perhaps and that might be why you were picked up i totally agree with you i totally 100 percent agree with you jess mm. no that, that that's fantastic so i think they'll, they'll they'll be interested to hear that but equally on the flip side has there been any blockers like obstacles which have you know sort of held you back or been a bit more of a challenge Yes, I think for me, um, in terms of obstacles, there is obviously, um, I'll just say that, you know, with data, with joining data, even as part of the transformation, it's not one of those places that you definitely get, you know, a full investment as well. So they certainly right. give you some seed money to run and then you see how you can carry on with the money and how far the money can go. So investment has always been an obstacle because you're not fully resourced, right? Um, but also skills, you know, but it's not overnight thing. You've got to build skills. You know, you come in with your skills, you know, as a foundational, you then have to build skills using the new technology and the likes of them as well. And I think for me though, leadership, um, when I mean leadership, I'm talking about leadership in what I call the boardroom level. So having someone that can have your voice in that level, to say, hey guys, can you give this guy some time as well to carry on, you know, you definitely see results as well, because some of these things are not overnight, especially when you're trying to find your way on how to tackle things. And sometimes, like I said, business are quite complex as well, especially if you're working in an organization that's really complex as well, not just people, but other things as well. They're building complex products as well. You need yeah. time to do that. And sometimes time is not there. You know, sometimes people say, well, I need you to do this in six weeks, you know, yeah. and you know that practically you can't deliver it in six weeks. So you might go for an MVP, but that's not enough as well. Yeah. And I think finally for me, the jargon, you know, it took me a lot to get around the jargon. It never goes away. It's still really, you know, it's, it's one of those, my bugbear at, at the moment, you know, the jargon is just mess, messy at the moment. At that point in time, we're talking about warehousing and all the rest of them. Right now we're talking about mesh and all that stuff as well. It never goes away, right? No. But it's quite interesting you said that because I kind of like, I thought about this a couple of days ago and I went to chat GPT and I said, okay, what do you think are the challenges, obstacles in data? Guess what? Chat GPT says to me, lack of relevant skills, limited opportunity for growth, narrow job roles, lack of diversity and inclusiveness and rapid changing technology so those are the wow. things chat gpt say to me so i totally agree hey so i totally I. agree 
Yes, yeah. I do. I do. That's incredible because if you asked me for five points, they probably the points I would have given you as well. That's unbelievable, isn't it? It's yet to stay, mate. It's yet yeah. to stay. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm hearing then really is my time obviously is an issue, budget is an issue, and I guess the impact of that is actually having to justify your existence to carry on on the journey that you're that you're on. And I've heard that from many other data leaders as well. So it does resonate, and I think it's something that people need to be aware of when they get into a position like yours or even even at a more foundational level you know that they've they've got to understand that they've got to they've got to get that on their side it's very interesting have you ever been given any specific career advice from anybody that you remember that's helped you yes i have you know i mean from say able listen stay authentic and stay focused you know um i worked in the in an industry i remember you know i was pretty much in the heart of glasgow in the south of um, what we call the south street of glasgow you know massive industrial area of Glasgow as well, you know, and you, you, you're working with locals there. And someone said to me, Abel, stay authentic and stay focused. You know, yeah. don't try to be anyone else, you know. Yeah. Um, so if I stand out, I'm in the room, I pretty much stand out as well, <laughs> you know, yeah. for, for what, for, for different reasons, but, but that was it. So that really helped me. But also someone said to me, Abel, you know, just starting on data management in terms of my career part in data management, he said, Abel, don't focus on the technology, focus on the foundation. And the key component on how to deliver this. If you can do that, technology will change, but the focus around the foundational piece will never change as well. And ever since then, I stopped chasing technology. I don't even look at them necessarily, but I understand what you can do to deliver data management. Yeah. And that's quite important as well. And I've invested my time to try to unlock that and it does work. So that's yeah. my advice someone gave to me and I'll live up with it. I think that's fantastic advice and I think you know hopefully the listeners will take that on board because even since we've been in business for seven years now all I've seen is rapid change of technology but actually <laughs> fundamentally the business problem has been the same and needs to be approached yeah. in particularly the same way um, and of course you know it leads me on to the part of the main topic uh, which is sitting behind of this series of podcasts and um, for someone like yourself who's got you know you've got a you've got a very very solid background there from a number of different types of businesses as well especially from going from BAE into banking etc uh, I know she worked for EasyJet as well um, yep. you know airline industry um, when building teams um, the feedback that I've had so far from from lots of different data leaders is that their approach tends to be quite different haven't quite found a, a single fundamental there, but I'm very interested to hear what your approach is when you want to actually put a team of people together to deliver something. That's a great question, Jess. I mean, I'm a sucker for ancient, I'm, basically I'm a sucker for ancient, reading ancient books, you know, whether simply I'm talking about, you know, the Greeks and, and how other guys over there kind of dealt with problems. You know, for me, I found this approach that really worked when I'm trying to build a team. I call them ethos, pathos, locus. Obviously, the names are there, you know, they're Latin words as well. But ethos means about technical, you know, creativity, you know, business acumen as well. So if I want to build a team, especially a data team, I'm going to look for people that have business capability and technical capabilities as well. Right. That's no negotiation about that. But okay. the pathos for me is quite important because this has to do with great emotional intelligence. Okay. Right. So fundamentally, I look for people that can get along with people that can read the room quickly, that understand stakeholders, that got great emotional intelligence and connection as well. 
because final is really, really important because ultimately you're dealing with people before you're dealing with the data, right? You're dealing with people. And if you can't really get along with people and understand people and engage with them, it's really, really important, right? And I think the final part for me, which is about the low cost, is around you have to have a great problem-solving capability as well, right? You've got to look at things and take a step back and try to say, okay, how can I simplify this? Right. So simplification is one thing, but also how can I present it to the audience in a way that makes sense? Right. So for me, those things are fundamental. Those are no, they're not optional at all. They are quite mandatory. But I think I found that over the years as well, change to be a change agent, not change management, but being able to be a catalyst for change is important. So when mm-hmm. people come around you, they just necessarily not just going to sit down and carry on with the status quo right? They come around you, they're thinking about how can I be better at what I'm doing? How can I improve the process? How can I improve this? How can I improve that? And I think it's really important. Leadership is great though, not on the job title level, but being a not, I wouldn't necessarily a natural leader because there's nothing like that, but being people that can invest and they've honed their leadership skills as well. You know, they know what it is and they embrace it as well. But collaborators, you have to collaborate. You have to know how to collaborate, you know, because for me, you can't deliver data management in isolation. You you deliver it as a team, right? So one of the key ingredients is that you've got to collaborate better. And if you can do that, it's really, really important. And I think for me, finally, the act about storytelling, the act of communication is so fundamental. I cannot stress that enough. So when I'm thinking about putting my team together, I talk about the business technical, I talk about the emotional intelligence, I talk about the problem solving, but all the things I've just mentioned as well is really, really important. And storytelling is one of the things that can help you unlock several things as well. So yeah, that's what I do. And I would encourage everyone to try it and explore it, you know, and I hope that it works for you because it does work actually. yeah, some great points there, Abel. Um, I mean, storytelling is now a recognised skill, um, you know, which is very interesting in itself anyway. It's actually there. It's uh, it's a skill that is is a requirement on most job specifications. Um, I guess one of my questions around that, when you're talking about technical, uh, technical uh, skills, business skills, you've got, you know, emotional intelligence, you've got problem solving skills, which you're looking for. Now, do you look for those skills in and competencies in every individual or when you're building a team do you say that i want some people like that some people like that and some people like that so as a from a more holistic view absolutely a more holistic view and then the key word is you have to be a diverse and an inclusive team so you don't just have one champion you have champions right you don't just have one champion you have champions and i think when you think about team for me fundamentally Data management is a team sport. So, and because it's a team sport, people play their various positions and they lean on one another to support one another. So if you have someone that's quite good in technical, you've got someone that's good in terms of delivering the business and stakeholder engagement, it is required for that person to also support the other technical people and give them that skills and that repertoire of skills as well to help them do what they need to do. So as we go as a team, we grow as a team, yeah. you know, and, and, and I think a team for me is not just a team of one champion. A data team that is successful will be a team of multiple champions as well. 
And I yeah. think that's where the the key is. And if you can do that, you know, it's so, so important. And remember, when we talk about the data team, you know, we've got different what I call discipline within the data team. Some people are doing governance, some people are doing quality, some people are doing metadata management, some people are doing, you know, architecture, some people are doing the BI piece as well. Some people are doing the um, the 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 administration piece in terms of the database and the like of them. Some people are doing engineering, you know. Mm. So they've got their different focus as well, but you've got to ensure that these things I've just talked about exist in your team. Yeah. Yeah, no, so I, I totally get it and I totally agree with it as well. Obviously, there are challenges that, you know, when you're trying to find people like that. So, you know, perhaps someone in engineering, in the engineering community, there might be less of those that are very good at storytelling because they're highly technical, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, we get people in the BI space that may be better at storytelling because it's part of just a big part of their job, you know, when building dashboards and things like that as well. Um, so it's some really, really good points there, Abel. Now, um, I often talk about talent strategy. And some of the things that I talk about is do not default to recruitment. Um, and the reason that I talk about that is because if you have a talent shortage, then actually what we should be doing in first place is looking at what, you know, the people that we have and internal mobility, succession planning, training, retraining, removing, you know, and that sort of stuff before we go, OK, we're going to need to hire X amount of people. Um, yep. what, what, what do you think is the most com important component within an overall talent strategy? I think that's a great question for me, Jess. You know, let, let me let me try and answer this like, a question, you know, to say that for any person that's listening to me, if you have a data strategy and it doesn't align with the talent strategy, you better rethink it all because your data strategy needs Good to point. have a component of talent strategy as part of that, right? And Good resourcing point. is fundamental because Data management, you cannot deliver data management just by technology. You have to deliver it through people. There's yeah. no other way. If you have another way, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd like to see that other way as well. But more way. importantly, you know, overall, if you have a good data management strategy and talent management is deep into that, right, what you would get is you would clearly define for me, you know, what would be your engagement like right because when you think about for me as a component of a talent strategy okay if you're going to bring this person you've recruited the person how are you going to engage the person mm -hmm. right okay what, what what would good look like we just talked earlier a few minutes ago just talk about the the need to have a diverse team based on the different capabilities as well right yeah. so you've got to do that okay now recruitment is a great thing but how where do you go for recruitment Right. Are you just talking about putting things on job boards and then expect things to come up? No, there are other bespoke like people like yours as well out there that people can tap from and say, I want this. I'm looking for this particular niche or not niche or so. This is what I'm trying to achieve. Can you advise me as well? So people like you might not deliver the person, but you can deliver the advice and the support to get to that pipeline as well, because I will say to people, if you're going to do traditional pipeline at the moment from a data space, you will never resource your team adequately. You've got to do the unconventional pipelines, mm -hmm. you know, and I hope that people understand what that means. I'm not saying you're not circumventing, no, but having the right talent through the door can be quite difficult. So Absolutely. you've got to look for other ways to attract 
and select people and bring them to the pipeline. And sometimes you can as well go and head on them as well. Yeah. And yeah, show them what your value proposition is and why they should come and work for you and the team and deliver what you need to deliver as well. Yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right. And you've talked about collaboration uh, a few points ago and the importance of that. And I, you know, I do, I we advise customers ourselves about the importance of joining up and with networking groups and other channels to actually try and uh, attract talent uh, and the things that you should be talking about as a business and increasing your employer brand in the market to make sure that you look like an attra attractive proposition uh, to yep. people that could be moving or not moving. Uh, so I totally agree with everything that you've said there. Uh, what does onboarding look like at the Bank of England? Is there a good process? No, I mean, onboarding for me, I would say that for me, when I joined the bank, I'm a COVID recruit. You know, what that means is that I joined the bank in the middle of the pandemic, which is quite a unusual tough. thing. But also, I, I over the years now, I've come to appreciate and say, well, this is amazing. Why? Because for me, as an experienced hire, my line manager, you know, gave me all the support that was needed. Yeah. Right. And obviously with the body as well, I, I was given to, you know, and also the wider team as well. So it really worked for me. But can I just say this with onboarding? I think it's really important. If you have to create an onboarding process, strategy or whatever, it has to fit for purpose. It needs to have that fit for purpose because the person that you're recruiting sometimes have different needs, right? For me, I've been in the space. I know what is expected. You know, I'm coming as an experienced hire. Some other person might not be in my situation as well, but it has to be the right fit for purpose because there's no point just having things to say week one, this, week two, this, week three, this, week four, this, right? That doesn't really bring any value at all, okay? So for me, I always say it's important for your onboarding to fit to be fit for purpose and more importantly, to be appropriate as well. So me joining in the middle of the pandemic I believe that my own body was appropriate. Why? Because I did everything virtually. I didn't have to come into trade industry, right? Yeah. Because we're not allowed to do that. But there was really good support. There were really good information from a team perspective to the bank perspective as well. Now, that is me. I cannot certainly say, you know, it might be the same for everybody. But for what I've seen in the bank, you know, I think their onboarding is really, really structured. I'm not just structured as well, but I think it's quite seamless as well to a greater extent because they've got a huge population of different, you know, um, <laughs> people joining the organization, you know, from early careers to experienced yeah. hires as well. They've got that big population as well. Yeah. So, so fit for purpose, got to be appropriate. It's got to be, absolutely got to be engaging, hasn't it? That's yes. Got to be friendly. Yes. People, people need uh, lots of different touch points, I think, through onboarding, especially uh, if you, uh, if you, if you're onboarded through the pandemic. I mean, that's, uh, that was a big shock for lots of people, really. To just and, and the line managers need to play a key role in that as yeah. well. Line management needs to play a key role. So they need to wake up to their responsibility. Yeah. They need to know what is expected of them and they deliver that because without that, why are you bringing someone? Why are you attracting someone and you're not ready? Yeah, fantastic yeah. advice, Abel, really is. Yeah. And of course, once you've got lots of people into your team, you know, now, we, now, now we're looking at how do we keep people motivated? How do we keep retention in a good place? Because, you know, you don't want to be losing people that it's been so hard to find, <laughs> right? So, you know, and we hear this a lot, right? It, it costs yeah. a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. And then you invest in people. To, yep. to, to help with their skills and then of course they walk out the door how do you yep. go about motivating and retaining your team i mean for me that's so important and jess can i say that's a great question because in my 
in my organization and not just my organization, but across my sector, you know, sometimes, you know, people have to take like six months just to go get through the door. I I, I'm not talking about interviews and all the rest of them just because of the other pre-employment check that needs to happen, right? Yeah. And you don't want to lose the person just even six months or one year down the line. You're yeah. going back to the drawing board. It, it's not good as well. It's not good for team morale. It's not good for you delivering stuff as well, right? Not at all. Um, mm -hmm. Now, for me, it's important. You know, for me, employee motivation is important and retaining good talent for me is really, really important. What I say to that is, first and foremost, you've got to have empathy. You see, nice I can't stress that enough. You know, if you don't have empathy, the ability to put yourself in people's shoes and you want them to come work with you and for you, then you've just missed the boat yeah. already. You're on the wrong boat. Don't try it. But more importantly, how can you build and create a high trust environment or a high trust culture? You know, and sometimes people take this for granted. The basis of working together fundamentally, the heart of it is trust of, for one another. So you've got to understand what you need to do to build a high trust environment, not a low trust environment. It's really important. Psychological safety is no brainer at all. People should be themselves. They should be able to, you know, be allowed to fail, learn from that, get up and do stuff, you know. Having clear values and clear behaviors, it's not optional. You've got to establish those things as well because you're talking about bringing people from different backgrounds as well, right? You've got to have those things. Work-life balance is no brainer. You've got to have it. You know, people should be able to separate between work and non-work as well and have that balance in their life as well because life is not all about work. And I think another thing people need to consider, and I think about this quite important, is just being transparent about your reward and recognition process. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, when you talk about pay, it's like, oh, it's a taboo not to talk about it. No, you've got to be transparent. People need to know why A is ending this, B is ending this, and if there's variances, why that is a, why that is the case as well. You know, especially when you're dealing with experienced hires, especially when even with earlier careers as well, they need to know that, you know, because what that does is that that creates what we call a trust environment. And finally, I'm not just going to talk about the roles and expectations, that's, um, that hopefully that's a given, but finally, it's important for an employer, okay, to create and understand the value proposition. Yeah, agreed. What is the value proposition? You need to articulate it clearly for people to understand. And if you don't, then have a rethink about it because if you don't have a clear value proposition, then as far as I'm concerned, right, you're not ready. So these things I've just mentioned, right, they are so important. And I hope that if you do that, motivation is gonna go up the roof. You're gonna retain people. And people will want to work for you and work with you and stay there for quite a long time. Some really good messages there, Abel. Um, you know, I, I like everything that you're saying, you know, and I totally agree with uh, the employee value proposition um, because, you know, people need to understand what their role will be doing and how it'll be contributing to the team and how the team contributes to the bigger picture and then yep. how they're going to be looked after through that. And I think what else I'm hearing from you is transparency. Um, I think it's very important as well. So we all know what's going on. We knew we all know how our career path can progress uh, and therefore we should be in a position then where we're supporting each other. If you've got flexibility in working, you're going to feel more highly motivated. And of course, you're very less likely to move. Um, 
they all. I they mean, there's a up. point there. There's a point there. I just want to quickly make for my listeners as well. You see, it's not acceptable for male to be any more than women. Absolutely not. It's not acceptable, right? No, I agree. You know, so and some of this practices have gone over time and i think it's important and one of the reasons for that is because of lack of transparency absolutely yeah. right yeah. so when you think about those things some of those things have for me they have social implication in how we see society right and how society is driven and what we need to get at because when you think about productivity in society and an economy as a whole you need everyone to be firing all cylinders yeah. Right. And if one part of the society is not firing selling that because they feel that they're de- neglected, they feel that they're not celebrated, they feel that they're not recognized, they feel that they're not rewarded adequately. That's to the detriment of the country as a whole yeah. and to society, you know. And so we don't need to allow that to happen. And I, that's just one point I just want to bring up. And so when I talk about transparency, about peer recognition, it's quite deeper. You know, there's things about ethnicity pay gap and the rest of them you know we're trying to unpick some of these big things but it's all come back to that transparency and trust which is fundamental well you know we're coming on to that next topic really aren't we in subject matter around diversity right the d is on everyone's radar right now we're all trying to do something about that there's various different challenges um you know that uh, that face us all um it sounds to me like this is paramount to you having a diverse team is a top priority to able <laughs> i said that to you i said that to you jess you know especially in the data space right yeah. <laughs> you have to have a diverse team yeah honestly I agree. I agree if you if you want to deliver data management and your team is not diverse i'll tell you take a pause and think about it and sometimes consider why that's not the case as well and what is your challenges is it something that has to do with the culture of the organization or is this something that has to do with your position within the organization as well but i think for me diversity even transcend more than that so when i think about leadership your leadership needs to be inclusive yeah right you know how could one person just decide the whole agenda you're not getting stopped people are not contributing to shape that what that looks what that looks like your team needs to be inclusive. I talk about psych- psychological safety and standing. It's not just safety as well. People being able to be part of something. I talk about authenticity and belonging. You know, these are not words. These are real. You know, you need your people to be authentic, yeah. right? If you speak to Abel, you know you've spoken to Abel, and you cannot, you cannot say, "Oh, I, I thought, I thought I spoke to James." No, Abel is Abel, you know, do you understand me? Because Abel has been authentic, James has been authentic, you know, Paula has been authentic as well. And these things matters as well. Why? Because we're dealing with people on a relational level, Yeah. right? There should be, for me, acceptance and tolerance, you know, we have to do that. People need to be accepted fully. And also in terms of tolerance as well, people need to be allowed, you know, to be bring themselves, you know, and finally, I just mentioned the point around equity. Mm-hmm. You know, equity is a big thing. I'll just give you a simple. Why would a male earn much more than a female doing the same job? That's not equitable, no. right? Why would the outcome be different? Okay, you've got two analysts in your team, a male and a female, and the female's outcome is different from the male. That's not equitable right it's not so the reason i'm saying this as a data leader myself it is my responsibility to vocalize some of these things and also to say that 
for those of us and for many that's listening to me as well, we can change that narrative as well. We shouldn't allow that to creep into our space and then we nurture it as well. We've got the ability to change it and changing it starts from recognition that is not acceptable and doing something about it as well. Well, I think as data people, I think you're absolutely right. I agree with everything you've said. But as um, as data people, especially if you're working with the HR data, um, you know, there's no I, I don't really see why there are any blockers anymore. We have we can get access to HR data. We can be transparent in business. Um, and I think data people will have will be able to gain some great insight from the people side of things so people analytics hr data etc to understand what's going on and understand where a business is and to hopefully make quicker changes than what they probably would have been able to do before um i expect so very very good point um okay so let's move on to we look we got the team we've got on board onboarding we're, we're talking about retention motivation how about training and development um and what tools have you ever used in the past to you know use effectively or regularly to make sure that your team is where it needs to be i mean for me i prefer rather than training i prefer learning i'll tell learning. you the reason why Jess, for me the, learning for me for learning is a lifelong thing right learning is a lifelong thing you know i'm <laughs> training you know i'm not going to that but for me learning and development is quite important right but also i will say this to people you know, it's beyond what happened internally in your organization. You've got to explore external part of learning as well. So for me, as an example, I'm a board member in one of the colleges, you know, um, and in that space, I've learned a lot from seasoned professionals, mm -hmm. from chief executives and the likes of them that I might not certainly learn in my team, yeah. right? And I can bring that learning back to my team as well, right? Um, but also I'm exposed to other external part of community as well, where you've got people there and you can learn from them, from the live experiences to other things as well that you can bring back to your organization. And I think for me, it's really important for pe people to recognize that if you're managing a team, it's so imperative for you to ensure and signal to everybody in the team for them not to deprioritize their learning and ensure that they prioritize learning as one of the key things up there in their agenda as well. You know, and I will say this to people, you know, why do I go to conferences? Why do I go to people like Big Data London to speak and the rest of them? And not just speaking, but attending as well. It's because I need to learn from others what's going on in the industry, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> you know, I, and sometimes people can stay 12 months and they've not done any of those things. They've not been in external forums. They've not even taken the time to go learn as well. You know, sometimes I do sacrifice my annual holidays for those things as well, because I do recognize that is a priority amongst every other thing else as well. How do you so 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 I agree with that. So, you know, obviously I, I have a team of people and um, I try and provide as much support and access to external learning. But then, of course, as a as a data leader who is overseeing a, a team, um, how high on the expectation is do you, how high is your expectation that the, the, the people in your team have to also spend time on their personal development as well as perhaps going out and looking at market information and and you know latest tools and technologies and things like that i mean for me for me is as high as the first three things as well to be honest and i'll tell you the reason why is because you see le what learning does is that learning challenges you 
and the way you look at things, sometimes it validates what you do as well or not, right? And you need those pointers because, like I say, it's a lifelong thing. It's an activity that helps to steer you quickly. And if you're not learning, if it's not in the top three, then the danger is you can do the top three and learning is not there and you think you're doing something really amazing and you get to the end of the road and you find that, hang on a second, it hasn't had any value at all. So that's the reason why I would encourage people to put it within the top three because that really matters as well. Now, the other point about tools as well. So you can do that within team. People can come in and have things like launch and learn as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you, you're you thinking about something, you've had the new information and you're excited about it, come and share it with everyone as well. Yeah. Right. It's important as well. You've learned something new, come and share it, learn and learn. You have the ability to do some cross team collaboration as well. And I think that's the benefit of hybrid working as well. You've got this technology and you can do a lot with it. You can bring different people into a room, a virtual room, mm -hmm. and you can facilitate great conversation. So... Like I said, I think it's really important for people to take it quite serious. Um, and the reason I, that's the reason why training for me never really caught it, because training is one of those things historically, training budget, you know, training budget is always something down the road, right? <laughs> but no, honestly, it's almost like, um, it's almost like the issue that CIPD used to have, a, a personal, personal, um, personal development, right? And then they change that around to be chartered um, Institute of Personal Development. You know, it has to be human resource rather than personal, um, personal, um, personal division or whatever. And when you say human resource, people then start to understand that it has to do with people, and not just personnel. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. You know, I mean, my, my other half is in HR. I, I hear a lot about this sort of stuff, especially around <laughs> learning and development and well-being. Um, but actually, what one of the things I, I, I'd like to point out is that, you know, a training budget indicates to me a reactive thing that's going to happen because it's a business saying we have a training budget. There you go. There's some training. We're actually, you know, when you look at um, personal development, which I think is more of a uh, it, it's something that you have to go and do. It's more proactive. You've got to put yourself out there to go and do this stuff yourself. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of it's for free, right? You, you talk about lunch yeah. and learns. You talk about there's loads of webinars and podcasts and God knows what, where yeah. people can actually learn a lot and then bring that and share that with the rest of the team. And of course, if everybody does it, then we're upskilling the whole team over that's the correct. course of a year. Fantastic. That's correct. And, and I think that's the reason why I just have that thing about training, you know, T and D rather than for me, I prefer L and D than T and D basically. Yeah. 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 No, that's a very, very fair comment. I like it. Um, so thanks for that. Um talking about you mentioned hybrid working. Uh, yep. big topic topic in the industry at the moment. I'm reading lots of reports, I'm reading lots of percentages <laughs> from God knows who, lots of uh lots of large firms that are, you know, doing doing big surveys around uh, you know, what the community wants, uh, what people want and what businesses want. Um What's your personal view around remote versus hybrid working and flexible? I mean, rem I mean, remote hybrid, you know, I, I just to have as well, flexible working as well. For me, that's the way forward, right? That's the way forward. Um, you know, um, you know, after pandemic, basically, we cannot afford not to take that opportunity to almost reevaluate what, what work is about. Yeah. You know, the way 
we've been engaging with work for the last hundred years has pretty much been what has been giving us at the back of the industrialized in, in the industrial revolution, the beginning of industrial revolution, right? Yeah. But right now we're pretty much in a new frontier. That's something that you can't touch, but yeah. it works. And it's called the internet. You can't see it, but they say it's, it's got a router and then it's got this light blinking and then you can connect to the world and you can have conversations, you know, series of conversation, voice, video, you know, you can play games, you can do all sorts as well, right? And I think as a result, it's important for us to think about how does work, how do we structure work and how do we define work and what do we get want out of work as well? And that's the opportunity for us to explore all those things. So for me, it makes a lot of difference, but more importantly, people need to recognize this and it's fundamental. The psychological contract proposition between employer and employee has changed massively. Yeah. Agreed. Just after COVID, I mean, you can argue after COVID, it's still there, but the last two or three years now, the psychological contract proposition has changed. And if you can agree with that, then you've got to change as well. Mm. However, in order for you to unlock for me the value about remote working, hybrid working or flexible working, you've got to think about what are the set of principles or the norms you want to drive in as well. And if you can do that, that would help you unlock things tangible and also intrinsic values as well, right? So for example, I work in the city of London, right? But also there's regional hub as well. Now, I don't need to be in the city of London in trade industry to be effective, mm. right? I don't need to, but also that shouldn't be an obstacle at the same time as well. No. Okay, so if you can agree with that and also with the growth of technology, then we can all change our behaviors because ultimately technology helps us to change behaviors as well. So there's a real proposition and there's a rich benefit. I mean, people can fight about this thing, just like everything. People can say it's not working. I totally agree, right? But I will also say to people, have an open mind listen to your audience, listen to the people um, and trust them, you know, and find that middle ground that works because I believe that fundamentally it does work as well. Yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, we've done it ourselves. You know, we, we, uh, we had an office uh, in London in the city um, and then shortly after lockdown, um, we didn't have an office and then we were fully remote. We've remained fully remote. Uh, the interesting thing I think is, is it does, your values of your business have to, um, they have to be underpinned, right? So yeah. the people working for you, you know, this is where we look about trust and integrity and maturity around how people work. But also we saw an uplift in productivity because we were giving people flexibility. And it's not for everybody, but it, it works for us. And, and like bigger organisations um, might struggle with it and some have made it work. So, yeah, it's interesting. And I think you make some very, very good points there for the listeners. Um Okay, but I'm going to ask you around challenges, uh, biggest challenges you've faced in the industry, as opposed to challenges around your career path to date. Has there been any now, like, Jess, big things? Or, no, honestly, okay you don't want to know that, that Jess. You don't want to know that. <laughs> but let, let me say this. <laughs> no, no, let me say this. Let me say this. Uh, it's important. You know, there's so much noise making going on right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I think it's for our benefits for us to reduce that noise making you know uh because over the year over the months and the last couple of 18 months i just see this level of increase each day the noise making 
you know, I talk about the jargon stuff that we laughed about, but that's real, right? That it's causing real. too much noise, you know. You don't get that in finance. You don't get that in engineering. You don't get that in other profession. So why is that happening in ours, right? It's just a question that we need to ask ourselves. But like I said earlier about empathy, I just believe that there's this lack of empathy or meekness that's going on right now where we can really get ourselves to put ourselves in the in the shoes of others. And we want them to trust us. We want them to invite us into their homes, you know, to help us solve their problem. It doesn't happen. Think about if you go into your GP and your GP doesn't have empathy at all and just pretty much say, what, what's going on with you? You go ahead, off you go, get some paracetamol, off you go. You're not going to go back to that GP. It's not about the GP expertise. It's about how the GP treated you when you came through that door, uh-huh. right? And I think empathy matters a lot. So we need to have more of empathy. And I'm calling these biggest challenges. And I'm using this opportunity to speak to all data leaders as well and aspiring data leaders. Because in data management, you have to deliver through people. And if you don't start this empathy thing now, you will definitely miss it. And it becomes quite difficult for you to deliver stuff. I think this thing about being complex as well, we should try as much as possible to dial down and make it a lot simpler for people to understand. You know, we're still getting on on this bandwagon, making it more complex for people, right? It shouldn't be the case as well. Too many jargon that doesn't make sense as well. But also, I think it's important for us to help certainly to start recognizing the real talents here, the real MVPs. You know, I'm not talking about those people with senior titles and lack, lack substance or no, the substance is not there. We need to start recognizing the real MVPs, people that actually as really labored into the industry, contributed into the industry and doing some meaningful work as well. And we need to showcase them. Yeah. Right. So I don't want to go down the other things around data quality, talent shortages and all the rest of them, data literacy, you know, effective leadership and, and all that as well. I don't want to talk about that, but these are real things that's happening that we can address in the industry. And that's the point I want to make as well. But thanks for answering, asking that question. And I hope that you're not surprised with, with my answers as well. <laughs> I tell you what, I really like your answers because they're, they're, they're slightly different to ones I've heard before, but they make complete sense. I mean, not ones about jargon. There's definitely too much jargon. I agree with you. Uh, I think we do overcomplicate things in the industry for sure. But I, what I really, really like is that, that you're saying you're highlighting um, that there's a lack of empathy out there. Um, and that makes perfect sense to me, because I think if we dial that up a little bit, I think we'll find things a lot easier moving forward. So that's no, a really, really good point. I love it. Um, this would be an interesting one for you then. So let's get your uh, crystal ball out here, Abel. <laughs> so <laughs> bring it on, bring one. it on, Jess. Okay. Bring it on. So what's the next biggest trend in our field then? What do you see wow. as the next big trend? Ah, that's a great question. Just to let you know, this year I'd never normally most years I, in the beginning of the year I just write about what what are the ten trends. But this year in particular, <laughs> 2023, I did not. And the reason for that was simple because when I looked at my stuff I wrote 2022, I saw them as a trend going forward for 2023. And that's just simplicity about things, not really reaction stuff, you know, for just for saying stuff, for saying stick. No. Just keep it simple. But that's a great question. What we do know today, and which is a fact, artificial intelligence is one of them. Yes. Right? And no one should be surprised about it. No one should be, right? It's going to create opportunities, going to create obstacles as well. It just depends where you are on the fence, right? But what I would say as well is 
is going to give us an opportunity to collaborate as well with what I call the society gatekeepers. And one of them is the media. So for me personally, I just like the fact when I see Peter and Caroline as well doing some media rounds as well, we need to start talking about the people like BBC, Sky TV and the rest of them should be having data people in those to kind of help educate the general public as well. You know, ONS does send out things on a, on a regular basis as well. So just understanding why we're spitting out the statistics and the rest of them and what that means as well. Because at the end of the day, I always say this to people, and I said it just last week, you know, in one of the um, roundtables I was in. What's the point we're trying to do all this, but it's not making the lives of people better in society? It's a waste of time. If you want to run into an innovation or data or whatever, it should make life easier for people, right? And that's what it's all about. So we should also try and ensure that society is better and life is better as well, right? So, and I think that from a business proposition, I'm seeing a time where I'm thinking, this is just me, no crystal ball at all, that data might be classified as an asset class in organization or in businesses. Because people are saying the value and they can quantify it, they can monetize it and what the value proposition it does bring as well. On top of that, sustainability is a great one as well, right? I'm going to ask you about sustainability. ESG is not going anywhere at all. No, not It's all. not going anywhere at all. You know, Bloomberg Intelligence talked about the fact that in 2025 or 2030, I think asset under management is about 50 trillion. It's, it's yet to stay. Now, I'm not talking about the data ethics. I'm not talking about the responsible AI. I'm not talking about automation. People should not be surprised of, of, about these things as well, right? But just to bring it back home as well, trust in data, data security is important. And finally, data literacy. Those things are also would be a trend and they're going to be part of the big trend as well in terms from a society level to an organizational level to a um, industry level to a cross-sector level as well right okay um i'm glad you mentioned sustainability because not many data leaders have it on their radar but i imagine that you would because you work for a bank right so this is, you know, <laughs> the agenda is quite a big one right um <laughs> i don't know if you oh, know this, but you know we, we we are we are heavily pushing into this space now as a as a group um, and it is, uh, it's, it's, it's an area that we will be supporting over the coming years. So it's, uh, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, no, I'll, I'll tell people, if you want to follow the money, follow ESG. It's here to stay. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, it could be the case. It's definitely here to stay. I know that. Yeah. Um, asking you in three words, sum up what you think success looks like. Three words. For me, in data, basically, it's no trust and use. Those are the three words. Know, trust, and use. Whatever that means to you, explore that. Know your data, trust your data, and use your data. That's correct. <laughs> and what 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 about you personally? What does success look like? For me, basically, just help support people to, for me, just move the dial in the right direction. Yeah. Um, you know, just move in the right direction. As much as it's going the right direction. And I'm contributing, supporting that, and making that happen. That's what success means, like looks like for me personally. I think that's great. I think if you um, if you can if you can move the if you can be 
part of moving the dial in the right direction, then I think you've got to win there. And I and I and I, I've got to be honest. I see you doing this everywhere. Uh, you have a, oh, you geez, have a presence. Thanks. You have a presence when I meet you. There's always uh, you're always involved in a group conversation with people, and you know you're so open to give advice, which is why one of the reasons I really wanted you on this uh, podcast for the listeners. I think they will get a lot of information from today so far. Um, fantastic. Um, what about a bit more about you personally? Just coming up, we're going to be wrapping up now, Abel. So yeah. um, um, let's let's tell the listeners one thing that the audience will be surprised to learn about you. Well, it's good that you say something personal as well, because I've just been thinking about that. And for me personally, I just want people to know an educated mom produce an, ed- an uneducated mom produce a, an educated son. An uneducated mother produced an educated son. And that's my story. My mom was not educated at all. Right. And I'm I'm unapologetic about my story. But but the beauty about that is the fact that someone is uneducated doesn't necessarily mean that something great cannot come out of that person. Right? And I and I think for those people that are listening to me, and that's the story. My mom is uneducated, but she produced an educated son that went to uni that had his masters, you know, and, and I think he just contributed in the space as well. So it just, it brings on these things about data as well. You know, a data can do something powerful that you can ever imagine, but you have to get the support, the right component and the other things that's needed to shape that data and get some meaningful insight out of it. So that's just my story. She sounds like an amazing woman. Well, she is. She is. She is. Bless her. <laughs> Fair play. I think it's a great, I think it's a very, very good, uh, lovely thing to say, actually. And actually, again, it should be inspirational for 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 many of the listeners out there as well. Um, I have a similar background. My dad really wasn't, um, you know, highly educated or anything like that. And I don't think today he imagined that I would be doing the job that I'm doing today either. Um, and, and it's great that you that you bring that out and you're open to share it. So thanks for that. Um, and finally, you know, for the listeners, definitely for the next generation of data talent um any any quick tips that you would give to them um little takeaways that they can they can focus on i'm just going to draw from my experience basically i mentioned initially when someone advised me to focus on the foundational piece as well rather than technology and i will say that to them as well focus on the foundation the fundamentals of delivering data management successfully you know, more importantly, gain people's skills. Uh, we talked about emotional intelligence a bit. You know, gain people's skills and build their emotional intelligence as well. Learn how to deliver through others. You know, where you can influence people indirectly. You can you can pretty much lead people indirectly as well, even if you don't have the title as well. Learn how to do that. I think finally, just be part of the data conversation. Don't shut up, you know, um, don't be quiet, you know, um, contribute you know, in your space as well. It could be your community, it could be your group, whatever that is, you know, just just, just be part, contribute to that data conversation. No one in the data space have the answers. Me, myself, I don't have the answers at all. But what I would do, I would share my beat with you and you can bring your beat as well. And then possibly we can reflect upon it and see and try it as well and see if that works as well. So we're all learning. Um, but I think for me, those are the things I would say to the next generation as well. And to say that the space is really, really exciting. You know, you have a you have a role to play. So come come and join, you know, come on board. You have a role to play. 
You know, it's mm. not the door is not shut at all. So for those leaders that really would like to shut the data door, I would say to them, please keep it open. Mm. We need more people through the door and also the people and diverse people all through the door as well. Male, female, all sorts as well. You know, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, amazing. Brilliant, brilliant advice there. I've, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've, there's quite a lot of takeaways yeah. here. <laughs> you know, this is about relationships and communication skills and transparency and honesty and values and, you know, lots of different things there. But I think no matter who is listening to this, there'll be a piece of this podcast that I think will add value to them. They'll take away and they'll learn something that they didn't know before. And that's the whole point of this, right? Thank you so much, Jess. I mean, great conversation. Really enjoy talking to you. Um, and to the audience listening, you know, please give me feedback. You know, tell me how I can improve and connect. And please connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, for me, I always like to collaborate with people and don't hesitate to reach out if there's anything we can work on to solve problems as well, society problem. Please don't hesitate. But listen, Jess, thank you ever again. And also to the entire team in Edith Smith. Thank you. But you guys are doing an incredible job. I really oh, do appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to have me in this platform right now and just sharing with the audience. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Bless you. Honestly, no need to thank me, but um, it's thank you so much for agreeing to be on here. Um, I'm really, really happy. The conversation has been brilliant, as always, and I knew it would be. And I think, as I say, the listeners are going to take, there's going to be a lot of takeaways there. For, so, so thank you so much, Abel. Um, we're going to wrap up now, but uh, I really do appreciate it. And uh, I'll look forward to catching up with you very soon. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.